feel like I was always surrounded by queer, a lot of queer peers. Hey friends, this episode has some background noises. The cars are annoying, but the bird songs are pretty nice. Happy listening. This is Inquiry, where I, Rowan, talk to graduate students about queer stuff. Today I'm joined by Amy. Hi, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Amy? Yeah, um, my name is Amy. The pronouns I go by is she, her. And I focus in grad school. I study K-pop in America. Hmm. So I combine the lens of popular culture and mass media, as well as religion and sexuality. So one of the things I'm looking for is how K-pop makes a queer safe space mm. for queer teens. Okay. Okay. And also I'm interested in fandom in a religious kind of sense. Can you explain that more? So I can't say worship, but like how... Like how, a reverence Yeah, for. reverence and even a concert it's more like a worship kind of thing. Mm. like that religious fanatics kind of fandom oh very cool well thanks for joining us here today how are you part of the community of queerness of queers or lgbtq2 pluses i am not part of any official organization or anything but i have friends who are queer mm-hmm. uh, especially because my partner who is also queer obviously has good friends that are queer so I get to socialize with a lot of queer friends through my partner's friendships. Mm -hmm. I do also have queer friends in my department. I don't think I can foster good queer (laughs) friendships. Um, Like I'm still learning how to foster good relationships. With me about relationships, it's kind of difficult because back where I'm from was mostly part, always part of a church. Mm-hmm. And if you, I mean, I'm sure you know, if you go to church, there's always people there that greet you and you automatically have friends, right? Mm. That you have fellowship with. So you're never lonely in a sense because they always say, hey, let's go for dinner. Hey, let's hang out. You know, hey, let's worship together. Hey, So it's like I was always given friends. But here, mm-hmm. I do go to church, but I don't have many people who are of my age. And the church here I go to is a lot smaller than the church I'm from. I'm actually learning how to foster friendships. <laughs> oh, good. That's yeah. solid. And then I'm assuming you just foster friendships with everyone in general. Do you feel like it's different when you're trying to make a relationship with another person who is LGBTQ or who is queer than compared to 
someone who you don't feel is queer? Or is it a similar process? You know, just honestly, I just find it interesting that the people, the friends who are queer that I associate or come across or make friendships with, mm. it's funny how we don't really talk about queerness. Mm. And which I found a little bit weird because like I want to know about their coming out process. I want to know about how they are, how they live as a queer person. Like mm -hmm. I'm curious about it, like mm -hmm. as you are with this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting how little they talk about queerness in their own lives. Maybe because we met in grad school and it's more of like colleague kind of interaction where you try to talk about school. Yeah. And so, or at the same time, I feel like they've been queer their whole lives mm. and we're over 30. So mm. it's like, for them, it's like a long time ago story. Sure. <laughs> and they're just, com they just lived their life as a queer person for a long time anyway. So mm -hmm. it's just embedded in them. I don't think, like if they were teenagers, you know, we would mm -hmm. kind of talk about, okay, when did you come out and all of that. Mm -hmm. But I think the friend I'm thinking about is gay and he has a partner and they're thinking about marriage and they're also trying to and also they bought a house recently oh. so it's like I feel like they are settled um, yeah and it's just their life I'm like they've found the person that they're gonna be with for the rest of their life so yeah. it's not really like I feel often especially for lesbian gays bisexuals pansexuals those kinds of queers when it's a sexuality the struggle comes from like finding someone you want to have sex with or someone you want to spend time with or someone and they've already figured that out so their queerness is not such a big deal because they've already found yeah. someone yeah yeah i think that's right i think that's a good way of putting it yeah. do you feel stable because you are in a queer relationship do you feel like that brings you a sense of stability in yourself as well similar maybe to your the example of your friend <laughs> you know this question is kind of complicated mm. but i feel like i think there's both stability and instability because okay. the instability comes from the fact that i'm christian okay a queer person who's a christian and because i came here to America in the year 2018 and it's been recent mm -hmm. um, and it's been here where I was able to embrace more of my queerness than before back in my home country mm -hmm. where a lot of people are closeted uh, even in my school a lot of people don't talk about queerness mm -hmm. um, there are much classes dedicated to queerness even if we talk about sexuality, we don't. We hardly talk about queerness, and it's hard, it's just hard to find. Even professors, they're not. You know, it's hard to find people that are out. Okay. So here, and then coming from a religious Christian background, I thought that I thought that I could cure queerness, right? <laughs> and then I thought I was done with. Because in Kaur, I dated a girl for about six years in my 20s, early 20s. Okay. 
but it was a toxic relationship where mm. there was a lot of violence and cursing. I mean, it started out good. It started sure. out well. And now I say we were dating, but I couldn't even consider that the fact that we were in a queer relationship because I thought we were just exploring our sexuality. But that person happened to be a woman, mm -hmm. and I'm a woman, mm -hmm. so I was very confused. So going back to my relationships, I started dating a boy when I was in high school. That ended in about three months, and the reason it ended was one day I would we were sitting in a subway going somewhere, and it was summertime, and I felt his muscles in his arms, mm -hmm. and I had a sudden disgust. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, it was like a sudden realization where I was like, I hate this. <gasps> what? Like this okay. Yeah. Okay. Because that's like, <laughs> as, as a trans masculine person, like, I want more of that in my own body. Okay. And I find it attractive in male-bodied people as well. Not, okay. th not that I don't like women, right? We all know that I like women and men and trans people. I like probably like trans people best. <laughs> That's so interesting. So you only like women or like soft men? Like the muscles are what bothers you or it's the malehood or? I think it's the malehood. Okay. So you're not really attracted to men at all? Well, what's interesting is all the crushes that I had. So I only dated, so up to now, I only dated three people. Like, right. serious relationship, only yeah. three people. And all the others were just crushes, and all the crushes were men. That boyfriend ended in three months. And the next year, I fell, I had a crush on a girl who was kind of butch. Mm -hmm. And we were both in high school, and she, I think, was afraid of her sexuality and afraid of us getting closer mm -hmm. that she suddenly ditched me <gasps> after a few months because we texted each other every day over 100 messages even in the shower i would bring my phone in and text her so it's like <laughs> wow we were very close very mm -hmm. tight and then suddenly she said one day i got a text and said i'm going to change my persona okay and then the next day she stopped talking to me and she started wearing glasses and she kind of had her hair up now in a ponytail. She kind of changed Did her whole Did she get more stuff. femme? I think so. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now I realized that I think she was scared of her sexuality. Yeah. And being too close to her. If you grew up in a place, you and I and others listening, grew up in a place where there weren't positive queer role models it's very hard to one let yourself be who you are and then also like how to do it like if there's no yeah. blueprint for that's lack of a better why, word that's why in college when i started liking a girl from church there was a, it was a whole mess of confusion and guilt as well as excitement and interest and love and obsession mm. i was practically obsessed with this girl i had to be with her like every day for the whole day mm. and then 
she suddenly got she kind of got tired of me she was like let's have some space for ourselves <laughs> and i would just like not let her go and then it kind of ended up with more because the fact that i was in my home country where homosexuality was viewed as very anti you know weird and, you know they associate with gay bars um, it's very like no no don't yeah. do that okay yeah. Immorality, immorality. Sure. Okay. And also, I met her at church, so that's another thing. The whole guilt yeah. <laughs> of how we acted at church, we acted as if we're, we were just friends. We didn't show any kind of PDA or anything. But then outside of church, you know, in private spaces, we would have... Intimacy? Yeah, intimacy. <laughs> My question about yeah. male crushes all the way up until like physicality started happening right like physical intimacy started happening so I remember in I think it was the third grade everyone started getting crushes and I definitely thought I was a girl in my head but I knew I wasn't like the other girls and all the girls were getting crushes on boys but I didn't I didn't have this feeling right I didn't have mm. a crush feeling mm -hmm. So I just picked the nicest boy I could think of who was also pretty cool. Like I wanted like a cool but nice boy because some of the cool boys were mean. So I was like, who's the nicest, coolest person I can think of? And even though I didn't have a crush on him and I knew it wasn't a crush, I started a rumor about myself. Oh. About liking a boy because I knew that's what girls did. Yeah. And I was like performing in a certain way because I thought that's what I needed to do. Okay. I'm wondering if that was a similar situation for you liking, yeah. thinking you liked men until you realized you didn't um, yeah. because it was a societal expectation. You know, I... Or it was like you had to try it and you didn't like the flavor, so you like moved on to a different flavor of ice cream or something. You know, I, I think that also makes sense, a different flavor of ice cream. Mm. Um, and you know, I... I might, I even think of myself as, I might be pansexual. Like, it depends on the person. I, it's not like, it's not like me, okay, I need, I'm a lesbian, so I'm gonna, like, I like women, so I'm gonna search for women. Yeah. I never had that kind of thought. I was just like, I just got hooked mm. with a person, mm -hmm. whether women or men, and, and it was just like, from there, I was just obsessed. Mm. So, like, the fact that I didn't date enough men to, know mm. that I'm not interested in men. I don't know, but I don't I don't think I wanted to try one more time. Right? Mm. Okay. Yeah, because I have a general hostility towards men anyway. Mm -hmm. Um them looking at women as sexual objects. Mm. And so I'm always conscious of the way I dress like it's kind of like a host hostility and also like my anger inside that I'm like, I'm never gonna dress as feminine because wherever I go with a short skirt, like everybody's gonna look at me mm -hmm. and they're like, I know what they're gonna do. They didn't wanna perform that. Yeah. Okay. 
But on the pansexual thing, when I was coming out the mm-hmm. first time, when I was like, okay, I know I'm not a, I'm not attracted to only men. I rejected the term bisexual because I knew, even though I didn't have a concept for myself as a trans person, as a gender fluid person, I knew that I didn't only like cis females and cis males. I knew that I was more attracted to trans people. Okay. And so that's why I chose pansexual. But today the understanding is pansexual and bisexual are essentially the same thing. At least in the discourse that I have read and the people that I talk to, and we talk about this a little bit with Taylor in season one, okay. because she uses the term bisexual, and my first girlfriend ever also used the term bisexual. Okay. And they both explain to me that it's essentially the same, like the definition that they have for bisexual and the definition that I have for pansexual is effectively the same idea. And that bisexuality excluding trans people is like an archaic idea Hmm. so when i was 18 19 coming Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. that was an idea i had but i also didn't have blueprints i didn't have queer people i didn't have someone being like that's not what it is i was fresh into the queer community but because that is my identity now this this one label that i have internalized i can say yeah yeah i'm bisexual to people who don't know what pansexual is but that's not the flag I keep, right? The flag I keep is the pansexual flag. I don't know if that has any insight into your pansexuality or your bisexuality or if you just want to say, you know what, I'm a lesbian and it's fine. (laughs) I only identify myself as queer. Mm. I just like that word queer because I've never, I've never, I never fit into the mainstream about anything. Like, I like the, the, the queering of everything. Sure. Like yeah. that. Yeah. And I have definitely heard that, at least in the United States, LGBTQ is inherently like a white experience. That not the brown experience, the black experience, the Asian experience is different, right? Because gender expectations are different across different cultural understandings and sexual behavior is different and it's kind of like whiteness as well as christianity that have come together to try and like tell us how to queer the system and it's interesting in a i talked to a white gay man and i was asking like so now that white men can get married to other men are gay men queer still? Queerness is you are disenfranchised in a certain way, right? Like yeah. people judge you in a certain way. And now that gay men are seen more. in TV, yeah, and maybe not like the way the way straight cis men are. But mm-hmm. if you're a gay cis man, most of the time in today's society, you aren't. You can earn the same amount of money. Yeah. You can own a house. You can do all these yeah. things. So I was talking to him on Jay's episode, do you still feel like you're queer? And he said it's a choice that he has to make. There are some gay men who don't identify as queer. They only identify as gay men. But being part of the queer community for Jay was a choice of I'm going to support support the queer community, use my privilege to educate other people, X, Y, Z. You know, I thought the word queer encompassed all the LGBTQ plus um, 
my but then now that you talk about how gay men choosing to be queer mm. I have a kind of a different thought about the word queerness yeah oh yeah. yay <laughs> congratulations <laughs> you've educated me <laughs> well I mean, that's the goal of the podcast, is to think about us and then to learn more about you and how you're living your experience. Yeah, so for going back to the stability and stability, um, so coming from a country where queerness is banned or mm-hmm. not seen not as not good, mm-hmm. um, and coming here and meeting my partner, trans woman, mm-hmm. so I feel stable being with my partner uh, because we love each other mm-hmm. we care for each other and I don't think I've experienced this much happiness in my life <gasps> before hooray yeah like I laugh a lot because my partner is really funny yes she is <laughs> and all the pictures that I took and looking myself or and my partner together like mm-hmm. I'm smiling really brightly mm-hmm. like before like if I look at my pictures in the past, like ever since I was a little child, mm-hmm. everything was all dim and dark. Most of my or pictures. like the smile doesn't get to your eyes. No, I didn't even smile. It was just oh. like a frown or something. Like it's, it's rare. <laughs> it's rare for me to have, like there's always a darkness kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from the fact that my father is very much into alcohol and having, not having, uh, he wasn't violent, but just that father figure being always drunk like most of the time provided instability with yeah me. absolutely um, yeah so with that coming from that kind of family setting and then being with my partner now even though she drinks it's not as it's not it's not the same because he wants to esca- escape right avoid and come and erase all his you know difficulties and failures but then in america i think people drink because they want to enjoy time yeah yeah there's a difference between like addiction and needing to use substances to erase certain feelings versus like oh i'm i'm just enjoying my time with people it's part of the culture drink with dinner kind of thing yeah Um. so i think my dad had both of that but more so the uh, using as a substance okay Um, but then my partner is the latter Mm -hmm. where she enjoys drinking and mm-hmm. having you know get-togethers with friends. So I'm stable in that way, mm-hmm. where there's happiness and joy and st- stability because I have a person that cares for me and you know we're in this for the long run, like yeah. forever kind of thing. Forever, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> but then the instability comes up um, because of my religious background thinking that when I interact with conservative Christians and when I tell them I'm queer and they think queerness is a sin and I hear that it's like oh no that thought comes up am I bound to hell like am I going to hell but one thing I trust is my heart and when I was with my girlfriend in home country for about five six years the relationship was toxic because my heart said no it was like Mm. I felt like 
the ashes, like, I felt my heart was like ashes turning into ashes. Oh no. That with sounds a lot of violent. intimacy. Yeah, mm. with, even with intimacy, it's like. Oh, there was like, um, pulling back from the intimacy because it felt wrong or bad in some way. Yeah. Mm. And I think it was because, more so because we didn't fit. Like, but then with my partner here, I never felt that. So I was like, think it's okay <laughs> yeah like, i love you guys together i like coming to your house yeah okay. like, really, i would be there every week but okay. i'm trying to give you guys like space to do your own thing but so do you you're speaking more to like just stability in existing and not really like oh i you have to be stable in your queer identity it's like this is a part of you your queerness is a part of you it it's not an issue at all in, in the way you're living your life now because there's other sources of stability that it's a facet of your identity but not your whole entire identity your queerness um, I mean that's a good question but I don't think about queerness that much in terms of like I need to seek out queerness I need to seek out this queer experience because living this life it's, it's just always it's just normal it's just normal and also being with a trans woman um and being out together mm -hmm. is an act of just coming out every single day yeah and and there's also a difficulty because people you know stare at people especially not here but some other states yeah you have a lot of conservative eyes people do look at me here a little bit but people don't say things like when i was walking with my girlfriend the only time i've ever had anybody say anything to me when we were still together was we were walking like and we were clearly together because we were touching each other and this trans woman was talked to us like hey like we were definitely like part of her people and she wanted to tell us that we were so cute and she wanted to like have a conversation with us where other people would like look at us and they wouldn't say anything they would just keep walking right. but the look is different yeah. i definitely think strange to think about this queer community and also queer artists or something queer friends like with that topic like this is kind of a new thing to think about me yeah so it's just for me it's my partner and then I got to know you through my partner and then some other friends who already graduated from the department who are also queer so I get to know them so it's like the network kind of created for me instead mm -hmm. of like I seeking it out. Mm -hmm. Oh, so lucky you. I guess I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if... Yeah, I guess I, I, I guess I have to be thankful for that. Yeah. And also I feel like maybe this is an American conception of my identity is so important to me. And I know a lot of, like myself included, but a lot of my peers, we had times in our lives where like 
us being gay or us being bisexual or us being trans was like that's all we did and that was what was the most important thing to us and for me i didn't really so your sexuality was like the core of your right okay. yeah and i think that's pretty common for american teenagers when they come to college right it's mm. the first time on their own they're like exploring and learning new things mm. they're open to so many new possibilities and they discover interesting things about themselves okay and for a while it's not you're not living a well-rounded life you're like no i'm going only to gay bars and i'm going only to this and i'm only oh. going to drag shows and <laughs> yeah. really trying to like find ourselves i think a lot of people try to swing hard one way to like make their parents happy or make the church happy or however they were raised and then when they get out of that expectation they swing hard the other way into like super queerness and like i have to have my nails painted at all times and i have to always be the gayest person at mm. the grocery store and so you're saying you didn't really ever have this pull to have queerness be like the utmost identifier of your personality right and in the school I went to, it was an all-girls college, and they had this queer group um, that was, I think the school funded it too, and it was big, but they're anonymous. Okay. Yeah, so if they do like a festival every year, they do a festival every year, they would come out and have like this big... You know when you go to amusement parks and then like people wear these animal masks and like this big head thing mm -hmm. and they dress themselves up? Mm -hmm. That's how they come out. Like they don't come out as like, oh, this is, I'm queer, this is me, I'm part of this organization. What they do is they, they're all anonymous and then they hide themselves like that. It's uh, this concept of masks that I think is very prominent in the queer community of like, we are a certain person to someone else and then if we want to be oh. honest with each other like your your example when they're being honest about their sexuality or their gender they're hiding themselves behind a mask of yeah i don't know like theme park outfit yeah, yeah yeah and you know how if you're you have like a queer like gaydar or something yeah so i do have that feeling like when I was going through you know finding my queerness and all of that mm -hmm. like I can see in my school like I can see who are queers right mm -hmm. and even if I wanted to even if I talk to them one-on-one -on -one, they never bring up that subject like we never bring it up it was just hidden like it was just uh, like I think unless you're part of this queer organization at school sure. um, and, and you're out to them like to other people, I think they protect themselves a lot. Even me, like I don't think I was like out, out. Like so, one of the questions was coming out process, mm -hmm. and I don't think I ever came out. For first of all, coming out is always coming out to your family, right? Your f parents. Yeah, I think here That's sometimes it's friends too. At least, okay. like I feel like I come out to different people all the time, and it's sometimes continuous. Mm -hmm. And a couple years ago. I just decided I wasn't going to tell anybody anymore. I was like, you can figure it out. <laughs> and if you can't figure it out, it's no longer your business. Okay. But yeah, coming out to my family was super big, both when I was like, I'm not straight. And then when I'm not a girl. <laughs> so I had to come out twice. Okay. And it was 
emotional both times. Oh, right. So it was coming out as queer as in lesbian or... Yeah, I think I knew I was pansexual even then. I just knew I wasn't a lesbian. Okay. And I was like, oh, if I was a lesbian, it would be so much easier because my family has a concept of what that is. Okay. Pansexual. They're like, no, I don't know what that is. (laughs) And no, we don't care. Like, basically what it boils down to is they didn't understand, Mm. but also they don't care. Mm. And then when I came out with my gender, it's the same thing. Was You mean as trans? As gender fluid. Okay. Like, and then asking them to use they and asking them to use my name and not my birth name. And they're doing good with it. They're doing great. Yeah. Like, my mom sticks up for me a lot with uh, her siblings. And oh, wow. once the people I cared about assured me that yeah, they yeah. didn't care... I could relax into it. Like, we we love you no matter what. Yes. I'm like, whoever you want to bring home, we don't care. We're going to make fun of them the way we make fun of you. (laughs) But that must... Like, I wonder, like, how you feel after coming out to people. Like, do you feel relieved? And, like... So I do come out here because I'm with my partner... And it's just obvious, right, if I go to places with my partner and we introduce ourselves that we are in a relationship, I mean, they would assume it's a queer relationship already. So, like, I don't really have to actively say I'm queer, but I think I did come out to my students one, like, as a GA. In the beginning of class, I think I said I'm queer, blah, blah, blah. So I want to create a safe space for everybody. Mm -hmm to just open up and talk Um, so I'm fine with that because I think I gain more confidence here because there's more looking at you know just allowing same-sex marriage and finding more people here who are just out and happy and just living their normal lives and seeing these models of people like even my professor one of my professors in my department is out and she's very smart and very talented in what she does and like she's one of like I feel like that's one of my mentors and having that model really helps but in like as I said like in college like everybody just doesn't they don't want to say anything and they're very scared of the judgment of like the society and there's I there's this feeling of like kind of thing like there's I feel like there's danger and there is some fear involved surrounding the word queer, too. I definitely think that was one of the biggest sources of anxiety for me before coming out. Either time was this this fear and not knowing if you were going to be accepted and not knowing how people were going to react. So what's funny is with language, mm-hmm. when I see the word queer in English and English, it's queer. So it's a trans- transliteration of queer, but I have different feelings about those words. So queer for me in English is very friendly, comforting, welcoming, all of that, and it's part of my identity. Mm -hmm. But in when I see that word, it's like, oh, that's not me. Like, like I have a dual, I feel like I have a dual identity because who of how I, I don't know if I'm performing, not trying to be queer because one of the things is when I was, one of the questions was when did I realize I was queer? So I had a lot of crushes ever since I was little, but it was all boys. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was all boys. Okay. And, then, 
in high school, uh, my first boyfriend, my first date ever, like my boyfriend, I had a boyfriend, and it didn't last for more than three months. Uh, That's long for high school. Really? Because he was saying, like, he was planning out, like, marriage. Like, he was like, let's go oh. to college, and then let's get married after a few years, and then let's have kids. And I was like, no, I did, I'm not thinking of that far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, I guess he was kind of serious about that. But I was just like, I just, I just want to date now and have a boyfriend. And I haven't really mapped out my life yet with mm. you. Like, I wasn't thinking <laughs> that. And at the same time, because of my very conservative Christian background, and it's interesting because my parents are not religious. My parents are not Christians. But I was raised as a Baptist because I went to a Christian school ever since I was like 10. And then I learned, you know, to be... Because like the teachers all praised me for being, for me, for being right, like a righteous girl. So <laughs> I performed that righteousness in what, front of everybody. What is righteousness in that ideation? like? Not so, drinking, always going to go pray. More so it's like the behavior, because the people from church was involved in the school. So it was a Christian church that made this Christian school. All the teachers went to the same church. I went to that same church. Mm. So everywhere I went, the teachers were able to just looked at me, right? And mm -hmm. like, I would behave really well in school. Just like be quiet. Yeah, and, and like... I would always get straight A's in school. Mm. So it's like, one time, everyone in class was punished except me. <laughs> so, okay, so from age 10, mm -hmm. our family moved to So that's when you started going to this Baptist school, was in- And then okay. that's when I became a Christian too. Okay. Yeah, before in, I was a Catholic because my dad was Catholic, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a practicing Catholic. It was just a once, once a week thing that I go and I choir and then just do you know go with my friends and hang out kind of mm. not a serious it was community based and less reverence right based. right right okay. right and then when i went to started going to the christian school in and the bible was one of the classes bible one of the class materials it was you have to read the Bible, we have to listen to the stories of the Bible, we sing hymns, and then we also pray right before you eat lunch. Some teachers prayed right before their classes. Yeah, so we begin class with prayer, and then mm -hmm. we don't end the prayer, but always with lunchtime, everybody prays together. Like, And then like some students, you know, I was also like picked to pray in front of everybody. So you were a, like a leader in your no, no, school. No, no, no. Everybody had a chance to oh, pray. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And then I was like, as I was performing these acts, religious acts, mm -hmm. I got to a point where I was like asking myself, like, who am I praying to? Like, mm -hmm. who am I talking to? Mm -hmm. And then I think it started with, with my religious background, I think it started with a question of these people say that there is God, mm -hmm. but I've never lived my life thinking that. Mm. But God is invisible, 
so I can't <laughs> prove that there is God or not. So I started with this question of like, you know what? They say that there's going to be heaven and hell. And, you know, I, I, after I die, I can't come back. So I'm like, you know, why not just believe it? It's like a, it's like a savings account, you know? Mm. How you just... <laughs> it's there just in case. Yeah, just in case. Okay. That's how I started it. Yeah, mm, I started okay. my religious journey, mm. I guess. Mm-mm. Yeah, and I just started, okay. And then I started, like, writing diaries to God, like... To myself, but as, as a form of prayer kind of sure. thing. And it, it brought me a lot of comfort. Good. Um, well, did you, like, bring any of your questions to, like, the youth leader or your teachers or anybody, like, who were associated with your religion? Because I did the same thing of... I started to have ideas, right? Middle school, high school, yeah. like, this doesn't make any sense, and this doesn't make any sense to me, and mm-hmm. why are you saying this? I was also a trans child... Okay. Um, but I didn't have words for it. Mm-hmm. Every I cut my hair off, and everyone said, "Why'd you cut your hair off?" And I would wear like boys' clothes. And it wasn't until like junior year of high school I, s- I started wearing jeans that fit my legs yeah. and like more feminine hmm. tops and things. So the church paired with me not really understanding Christianity. The answers weren't sufficient for me, I guess. And it was very clear to me that I was, like, othered. So I don't... Did... When you brought... When you started having these questions, did you bring them up to adults in your life? Yeah, I remember bringing it up to my mom. Mm. And I was asking her, how do you go to heaven? You get on the bus. (laughs) (laughs) And then she said... You just do what you're doing right now and live a good life and you go to heaven. Mm. That's what she said. Okay. And then I wasn't satisfied with that answer. Mm. I was like, huh, maybe there's something more. And then instead of asking my teachers, I kind of was just wondering. And then, you know, we had Bible class every day. So like during Bible class, um, I think some of the the answer like questions were answered because like one time sixth grade teacher I had like this lightning bulb kind of moment where everything turned like bright like it was when my teacher was saying you know if you believe in Jesus you go to heaven and then it's like I feel I feel like I've heard that a lot but then I had this one moment where it was like it just dawned on me it was like enlightenment kind of time where it's like oh like (laughs) aha moment and that you recognized that you were going to heaven or something recognizing that jesus is the way but then at church i i think i always slept during service like (laughs) i don't think i think i don't think i understood this Sunday service though like we had Sunday school Sunday school was okay but I think the Sunday service was kind of difficult for me to comprehend yeah I I felt similarly I think the audience is different when it was directed towards my age it was comprehensible right but then when it was for the adults it was boring first of all I know and then second of all I didn't want to pay attention so yeah Yeah. hmm so the righteous part was Mm. 
So in the Bible, actually, the meaning of righteousness is if you believe. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter if you're doing the right things, okay. like not committing crime or not lying or not taking drugs or anything. Not that's not the righteous concept. The righteous concept is believing mm-hmm. in God. So it comes from when Abraham. He was old, and mm-hmm. then God came to him and said, "You're gonna have a son when your wife is like over a hundred years old." Yeah. I mean, in your normal logical mind, how can I have bear a son or bear a child when mm-hmm. I'm this old, right? But that just believing in that promise that it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's why he was a righteous person. That's why he was called righteous. Because he had he just believed. Yeah, he mm-hmm. believed. He put trust or faith right. or something right, into right, right. faith and trust. Mm. But anyway, my concept of righteous girl was mm-hmm. not that, not the believing part. It was all the performance. The actions. Okay. And like thinking about clothing, since I never had a model where. Like my parents didn't go to church, so like when I went to church, before I went to church, I was like, I feel like church isn't a place for me. Like I feel like only special kids go to church. And when I was invited, I was like, oh no, like what am I supposed to wear? Like how am I supposed to act? Oh. And my model as Baptist congregation, women, they were all wearing long skirts. So I was like, okay, I always have to wear a skirt. Mm. knee down like that was not even knee up like it has to be a long skirt and like your shoulders yeah yeah covered yeah okay and just doing doing not you know behaving well obeying your teachers you know doing whatever they say you have to do all these actions so speaking of clothing I thought that wearing jeans was a sin (laughs) (laughs) like in my small mind I was like around 13 14 like that small little island Mm. where it takes only one hour from your for your car to go from the end to the end of the island it takes an hour (laughs) so there was one Baptist church on the whole island no no there were several but that I only went to one better ways to teach language than just reading, writing, listening, <laughs> speaking the four skills and taught yeah. in school. And yeah. I think it's really interesting that you're approaching it in different ways because I just think that I was able to learn English because I was thrown in that environment. In- yeah. Okay. Um, oh, so you're 10 already when you started yeah, English. Yeah, I was 10. Uh, before Inc. I went to like academies, everyone goes to an after-school academy. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a must. Okay. In order to get ahead in class, or 
I think it's just so much, you know, focused on school and mm. getting good grades and going to a good college and very competitive mm. that after school, I think... You go back to school after school? No, no, no. You go to, like, academies. Like, it's called Hagwon. 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 It's like a small academy. Like, so, for example... But it's not for, for sports. It's okay. for learning. Okay, so... I'll show I'll yeah, tell you different, yeah, different, types of, <laughs> different types of hagwons out there. So mm. I think almost all girls at once in their life, they go to a piano hagwon. Okay. Yeah, to learn piano. You, you can play piano. I learned piano for a long time, but it's like I learned and stopped and learned and stopped. So you can read both bass and treble clef. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be my tattoos for my grandmother. Because I sing in treble clef, but I can't tell you what the notes are. I can just go up and down. Okay. Uh, but bass clef, I can read the notes. So, yeah, I saw your picture with the, the cello. Yeah. Okay. And there's... Usually you go to an English hagwon. Almost everybody does. Mm. Um, and then learn English there. And then math. Because math is really difficult, so math is a must. Yeah, I'm definitely like, um, I don't think the word is maverick. I also don't think the word is maven. There's a word for somebody who just wants to know stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm a teacher because, like, what else am I going to do with knowing stuff? Oh, other than, like, teach, teach other people stuff? Okay. And but that's yeah. when you learn more, right? When you teach. Definitely feel like I learn better ideas. Right. Like, I know so much more about English than I ever planned to know because I've been mm -hmm. teaching it. Okay. I know a lot of Indonesian things mm -hmm. because I had to acquire Indonesian instead of learning it. Oh. So I'm really glad I taught English first and mm -hmm. went back into like the linguistic understanding of how languages function. Yeah. So I could tell the difference and then apply that to my own language study. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm into Irish, mm -hmm. my Irish teacher, when it's just us two, He's like, I mean, you and I can talk about all these language concepts, mm -hmm. but my class, when we're in class, he has to talk to... The people who have time and money to study language are diasporic mm -hmm. Irish old people. Oh, like, old ladies, old okay. men. Not only, oh, no, yeah. all over the U.S. Okay. So not only are they old and, like, struggling with technology, but they're also, <laughs> like what are you saying <laughs> what are you saying so when it's just me and him we can talk or me and the director of the school we talk linguistics mm. and my questions in class will be like is this a labial sound or oh. um where in the mouth is this pronounced <laughs> <laughs> because we're beginning right like the sounds still don't have meaning for me in irish mm -hmm. but why are you learning irish because it's my heritage language okay. and well it's one of my heritage languages i heard that it might not be accurate but i heard that if you are first time second language learner mm -hmm. like for the second language it takes let's say it takes 10 years but then the third language it takes only 
five years. Because you kind know, of, yeah. like, get to know you, you get how to know yourself. How to learn. Yeah. yeah. I think that has more to do with it, but also probably your neurons in your brain are expecting new things as well. Mm. Like, they're just more practiced at firing. For monolingual speakers, I think it's very difficult to struggle mm. with something new, especially when you're an adult. So, English Hagwon... So, I the reason I brought that up was... Before I moved to Paris, I went to English Hagwon, piano, um, and the math, all that. Mm. But I I didn't even know how to write the alphabet. Even if I had like three years of Hagwon schooling. I see. Even, even in school, we learn English. But it was just like, for me, I don't think... I'm not. I'm a person that would have learned English if I wasn't immersed into that culture. Mm-hmm. I was just thrown there, mm-hmm. and then just being exposed to everything and being forced to, in order to communicate to friends in mm-hmm. school. You know, at least what? How many hours of schooling? Like seven hours, or is it six or seven? And when do you guys start learning English in school? In yeah. First grade. Yes, yeah, so for me, for my generation, it was starting in third grade. Okay. But I think they pushed it down further. See, I think for my parents' generation, they started, quote, foreign languages, Spanish, German, or French in high school. In high school yeah. uh, my generation, we got an additional year mm-hmm. or two into mm-hmm. middle school. But I didn't like French. I took French for one year, and I was like, I'm out. And then I took German for four years. And mm-hmm. then I switched to Indonesian when I got to college. Okay. But it's not so... Right, in grade school, when you are in first grade, you're using multiple languages. Mm-hmm. You're at least, like, having an English class. Mm-hmm. And then doing other things in Korean. Mm-hmm. But we don't have... Like, the American culture doesn't make space, I think, for a, a different language. Sometimes there's bilingual immersion. That's getting pretty big on the mainland, which is mostly Spanish-English. But other things, no. Like, and when I say Indonesian, people have no idea that Indonesia is A, a country, B, a language, or, like, they know Bali. You mean Americans? Americans, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, I didn't mean to say you didn't know what Indonesia was. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Bali, the island, right? The Mm. tourist spot? Yeah. Yeah, It's very famous in Korea, too. Oh, yeah. There was actually a K-drama set on Bali. That's because Bali. in Indonesia they all love K-dramas <laughs> and K-pop yeah. and I was like why don't the words line up with our mouth? Okay. And my sister goes oh that's a Korean drama but they no, dubbed okay. it. I was like oh yeah mom loves the K-drama. I was like okay okay okay. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Oh that's so interesting to me that they set a drama in Bali. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway so I learned French when I was in high school. Oh. So in high school, in you have to learn another language. Okay. So you weren't in class anymore. You went back to no, back when I was um, 17. So I was second year of high school. In there's three years of high school. Okay. Three years of junior high and then three years of high school. Okay. Um, so I was in the second year, which is, what is it, junior? Sure. Yeah. So I went back when I was a junior, and then you have to pick, or do you want to learn um, French, Chinese, or some other, there was some other language. Like Mandarin Chinese. Yeah. Mm. And then I chose French, so they, that's how they assign you to classes, mm. to your homeroom. 
Okay, okay, okay. And also, in you, in the second year of high school, you are able, you have to choose whether you want to be in the humanities or in the sciences. So even before you go to college, you choose your path. Yes, and my cousins in Indonesia had to do this too, right? Mm -hmm. It was, well, my friends too, but I hear about it more from my cousins, is... You do the first year, it's like general, because mm-hmm. I think they're yeah. also four, the same as America's four okay. years of high school, but then they have to choose a path in the second year of high school, right. whether you're doing humanities and languages. Or the arts, or the sports, too. Art you guys sports. have sports? Cool. No, no, no. So, actually, there's... Like, sports sp- studies is a pathway. Well, for those who wants to go to sports path for college, mm-hmm. you know, they can... But they... You know, they don't learn sports, technical sports in school. You go to Havon to learn learn how to pass this exam. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So what was frustrating to me was when I moved from zero to Havon, I was happy that I no longer have to go to (laughs) Havon. And all I have to do is just go to school. And then after that, I can play and do whatever. Mm -hmm. And then coming back to now I have to adjust to this night school life. And what's interesting is, even those who get really good grades, mm-hmm. they sleep during school hours. Like a nap? Yeah, but it might go on for like hour, two hours, or three hours. They might just wake up during break and then go back to sleep while the teacher's talking. But the teacher never says anything because they're like, hey, this, you know, she's studying hard at midnight or through tutoring or hot ones. So it's like, I understand. Oh, it's so. <laughs> so different. And some students, you know, they already know what the teacher's going to teach because they go ahead. It's like in your junior high school, you already know high school math. When you're in elementary, you already know junior high math. So it's like they advance and their whole focus is the college entrance exam so that they can go to college. So I was like, school is so useless. And At least you guys like socialize. Yeah, we did. Yeah, okay. So, that's why I think I went to school. Yeah. <laughs> my my motivation has always been human beings. Okay. So do all kinds of other extra work, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the attendance and the like mm-hmm. contacting students. And like the study hours yeah. and the help yeah. me, I don't know what's happening. I know, I know. But in there wasn't much of a TA presence. Mm-hmm. It was just all professor-oriented classes. Okay. And nobody cared if you didn't show up. It's like nobody mm. emailed you, nobody cared where you were. It's like, exactly. Oh. So I was like, huh, here, it's like, I email students when they don't show up. It's like, where are you? Like, what are you doing? What's up? <laughs> yeah, I give yeah. them two or three days when I was a teacher, a GA. Mm-hmm. I would give them like two or three days. But if they missed two whole weeks of class, I would be like, hello, are you alive? I know. Yeah. But so I'm like, 
there's more care involved here. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, now, and I heard like it was more of a business kind of, you know, oriented, you know, how you cater to the students because it's That's a where your money is coming yeah. from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like it's state funded universities or who? Yeah, there are state funded universities, but there are also private schools. Um, I went to a private school. The tuition mm-hmm. is way cheaper than here. Mm, okay. Yeah. It's not a business model. It's. It is, but I don't. I don't get how. I don't get how like the tuition might be really expensive here. Cause okay, so for one semester in Korea, five thousand dollars for fifteen, seventeen credits, and that's even that's even told that it's expensive. It's really spiked. I know. Mhm. In a short amount of time, this it has gone very up. Great. Okay. Well, thanks for your time today. We'll have to continue this. Okay. Any advice you have for people in school, people thinking about school, queers out there who feel lonely, any of those things? Just thinking about how much self-hate that I have when I'm feeling guilty, um, when I feel unstable. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I hate my life. Like, why am I like this? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that don't, don't direct <laughs> hatred towards yourself. Yeah. You know, I think seek out help because there's a lot of good people out there. Mm-hmm. As much as there's a lot of bad people out there, there's good people. Mm-hmm. Wherever you go, and I think. Who you are surrounded with is very important to your health, mental health, physical health. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a situation where, you know, I was in a toxic relationship and I couldn't get out, it's important for you to meet someone and be surrounded with good people that will accept you as who you are and love you as who you are. Yeah. And my advice is, you know, don't give up and, you know, Maybe the next step toward grad school is a path for you to find these people. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely found <laughs> queers in grad school. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. That's all we have time for today. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Remember to mind your own business. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Like, comment, rate, and subscribe to Inquiry on the listening platform of your choice. It helps us out a lot. If you can't wait till the next episode, find us on Instagram. Our handle is at Inquiry the Podcast. That's I N Q U E R I E the Podcast. You can also email us at inquirythepodcast at gmail.com. You can become a financial donor on Anchor or on Patreon. Till next time, stay groovy.